This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Today's guest on Pain in the Pod is Sean Kilby, the host of Hold Up, Hold Up. Now, I know about Sean because, number one, he co-hosts the Taylor Strucker Show with my friend Taylor. And number two, he used to co-host on a show called Cocktails with Patrick, a show that's no longer on Sirius R.I.P. Sean has a new podcast, which is a genius idea. He and his guests talk about movies from the past, and they decide if they hold up. Sean, this is a great idea, and I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation with my friends. Now, when did you think about starting this podcast? How did you get that idea of, you know, party talk about a movie? How did you decide to turn that into a podcast? That's a good question because I don't remember the first moment, but it was a good six or seven years ago Wow, I had this idea. So I, I grew up in a movie's household, in a television household. The podcast is eventually going to have TV in it too because there's a lot of old TV that doesn't hold up. But I do recall having a conversation with my friends about Jurassic Park. Sure. And Jurassic Park, the crazy thing about Jurassic Park is it was the first movie to really use a ton of CGI for the dinosaurs. Oh. It came out in 1993. So the movie's 25 years old and it still looks good, which is astonishing. And that got me thinking about movies that don't still look good. And then that got me thinking about movies that just don't work for a number of different reasons. And after noodling it for, like I said, six, maybe seven years, I finally just said, let's do it. So yeah. that's how the podcast happened. Basically, it's just like, um, I kind of feel like the podcast for me is a lot like a diet, like losing weight. Where for me, for a good five or six years, it was like, tomorrow's the day I'm going to start the podcast. I'm going to get it out there. I'm going to put on my running shoes and I'm going to record something. And eventually, I don't know what made it happen, but I finally just got it started. Okay, that's hilarious. I love the diet <laughs> reference because, you know, that's me. So, I mean, I, you know, I decided this morning about my um, new diet this morning. Oh, oh so, good. Right, congratulations. Right. Thank Actually, you. the funny thing is like around the time I started getting the podcast going, I also lost 40 pounds. So I don't, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it might actually just be once you're motivated to do one thing, you're motivated to do a lot of things. Yeah, I think so too. Wow, 40 pounds. Jeez. Okay, we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> now, how do you decide which movie you're going to review and eventually, I guess, television as well? It basically comes down to, so I have a, a guy I do the show with, Jorge Morales, who's the producer, and he and I will just discuss it. And I started out thinking I want to do a lot of movies from 80s, 90s, and early 2000s that are just old enough that you forget what you think of them. Right. So that's the number one thing. If you can't remember what your opinion of it is, then it's probably a good topic. But it also happens to be movies that I either love or don't remember ever like seeing them since the first time. But also like down the road, what's it going to end up being? I probably will tend to lean towards movies that might not hold up. Does that make sense? I, yeah, at a certain point, you do enough topics where the answer is, oh, this is amazing, and it gets a little bit old. Oh, sure, sure. Now, yeah. for example, recently we saw, just happened to be on TV the other night, was Goodfellas. And, <sighs> and I so. said to my husband, I said, now I know this movie holds up because it's a it's a period piece, so to speak. So it's not, you know, trying to be set in the present time. Like when you did the Clueless episode and you were talking <laughs> about, like, you know, the giant 
cell phones and yeah yeah th- so that does not hold up but it's still funny it's still funny yeah okay well there's there's two things here number one and this is just a, a a conversation that's been had in popular fiction forever which is do you include the technology of the time and because a lot of times including things from the present day make something feel dated but in the medium to long, long term, something being rooted in the time that it was that it came out is a good thing. Right. I actually think 15 to 20 years after something, it feels dated because you remember immediately like a like a pre-internet thing from from Clueless, for example, will feel a little bit dated. A giant cell phone feels a little bit dated. 20 years from now, it'll actually help root that movie in the time that it came out. And that's a good thing. Yes. Now, Goodfellas, I just want to point out Goodfellas is a good example because for me, all biopics tend to fall off during the third act. And I still think that's true of Goodfellas. So I look forward to watching it because the first two thirds of the movie is tons of fun where they're busy stealing stuff and killing people. Yes. And then all of a sudden he's addicted to heroin and it's not as fun anymore. So I wonder if maybe that's changed for me over time. I don't know, but I look forward to doing the Goodfellas episode. Now, how long does it take you to record each episode? So, of course, you have to watch the movie first, and then you have to get either your co-host or your guest or or all of them to watch the movie as well. And so (laughs) while you're watching the movie, are you doing a lot of pausing and note-taking, or you just watch it straight through and, you know, let the conversation come naturally as you're doing your podcast? Okay, I have two approaches, two different ways this has happened. Certain movies early on, I just watched them slowly pausing, watch, pause, watch, pause. It drove my girlfriend insane, so she can't really watch them with me anymore. But I would say, for example, we did the movie She's All That, which is about an hour and a half, and I think it took me three and a half hours to watch it, just because I was busy taking notes. And I actually have found, I've learned a few lessons. I think when you're gonna have a guest on any show, Generally speaking, it's better if they come in a little bit cold and don't have to do a lot of prep because then you get them a little bit fresh. So I have learned that actually I do a lot of the heavy lifting with taking notes and preparing questions so that people can just be off the cuff. Now, I will say then we recently recorded an episode for Jaws, which, as you may guess, does hold up a little too well. I mean, it's a pretty perfect movie. But for that one, because it's supposed to be gripping – and frightening. I decided to watch it all the way through without any pauses in the dark. Oh. And then I stopped and got out my notepad and spent a couple more hours taking. I always take like five pages of notes per movie, which sounds like a lot, and it is, but it also isn't that hard to accumulate a lot of different ideas if you're going piece by piece in a movie. Okay. You just triggered me. Am I, I'm yeah. terrified of the water, and it is uh-huh. 100% because of Jaws. Yeah. Well, that's a funny thing about a lot of these movies is, for example, like what's the cultural legacy of something like Jaws? For that movie, it mainly is just people yelling shark and <laughs> and the idea of someone running out of the shallows in fear. I also think for that sort of movie, there are a lot of things that have been ba- borrowed from it. For example, the, the, the don't show the monster trope is a big thing. You yes. don't really see Jaws until late in the movie. And now that we that we have now seen, I don't know, countless movies that use that idea, it's kind of amazing to go back and see how it plays in the first movie. And I was almost surprised how much of the shark you see. So that's one of the, one example of something where I was almost now, you know what else is crazy? I thought I had seen Jaws. This is another crazy thing. 
I thought I had seen Jaws before. I never seen that movie all the way through. Huh? Maybe, it was maybe you saw split. Jaws two or Jaws three or Jaws. No, I think eight. It, I think it was on TV so much that I pieced it together throughout my life. Yes. Where I had convinced myself that I'd seen the whole movie, but I forgot almost the entire first half of the movie. If I ever saw it, I don't really remember. Huh. It's funny the little things you'll you'll discover about yourself when you're doing a podcast. Well, I don't even know if I've seen it all the way. I saw enough. And then I went on the Universal ride, you know, in California oh. where the thing jumps out at you. And I'm like, well, that's it. I'll be on the beach <laughs> if you need me. And I mean, I'm, I'm still that way today at almost 50. I do not go in the water. Really? Well, here's another example. So I actually didn't find Jaws particularly frightening this time around. Okay. And I, I'm just a much more cynical person than I was when I was younger. So I just don't think sharks are scary. I just like, I feel like, you know, maybe I'm just an idiot. And I think I could fight off a shark. So they really <laughs> don't bother me. Um, another thing that I found surprising about it was that the shark wasn't comically big. It wasn't like this giant, uh, unreal monster. It actually was kind of like a, a believable shark. And it, it speaks to the escalation in films over time, how the monster has to get bigger and badder. And that trick, it, having seen sequels to Jaws, I've certainly seen bits and parts. And there's a new movie coming out called Meg where the the Megalodon is like, I don't know, 50 tons. Wow. So it, it, going back, it was almost refreshing that the monster wasn't so unbelievably big. Meanwhile, we did another episode that was Blair Witch Project. And Ooh. I just didn't, I didn't think it was scary at all, Mary. I didn't think it literally didn't frighten me. And that's probably because you really had to be immersed in the movie when it came out yeah. and something like that just doesn't work today there was so much hype around that movie too i never saw it because it looked like the shaky camera would make me want to throw <laughs> up and i and i you know i don't tend to watch scary movies um a few years back when my kids were about nine and eleven i mm -hmm. saw at the grocery store or something a dvd of uncle buck and i thought that was the greatest movie uncle buck was so funny so i made my kids watch it John Candy, right? Just yeah. John Candy. Yeah. And this was also the first appearance of Macaulay Culkin. Uh, yes, I think it was. He was very uh -huh. young. Very and, young. you know, I'm thinking, this is a great movie from when I was a teenager. They're going to love it. Okay. First of all, that movie is so inappropriate. And it's, it's, really? um, it's at the time labeled PG, but today it would be PG 13. And because they didn't have that back then. And uh -huh. it, yeah, it's a lot of inappropriate did stuff that I should not like it. Did they no. enjoy it? No, they were like, That's this is heartbreaking. They were like, this Ugh. is so stupid. Well, okay. Comedy doesn't always age incredibly well either. Like I think, you know, who, who the person from at least the most recent generation whose movies are not going to hold up is Will Ferrell. I love Will Ferrell and Will Ferrell is the comedian and the comedy filmmaker of, for my generation. Yes. I think at least for guys that went, I went to college with. And I kind of think in 20 years, you go and pick up, well, actually you stream an old, you know, you get your kids to stream an old Will Ferrell movie and they'll be like, I don't get it, mom. I want to go outside and play. And it's just every generation has their comedies that for whatever reason, the next generation of kids just doesn't find funny. You know, that's that's an interesting point. I mean, yeah. So, uh, by the way, you're what, not crazy. Uncle Buck is a good movie. That is a great movie. Now, yeah. what about all these John Hughes movies, of course? Now, if you ever want anybody to review Say Anything, mm -hmm. I'm the expert. I had not oh. – I've watched that movie so many times, and I've actually watched, like, the director's cut where they talk over the movie the whole time with Cameron like Crowe and John Cusack talking over the whole movie. Wait, Cameron Crowe made that movie or wrote that movie? Is that right? Or yeah. is it – no, John Hughes. Wait. Wait, say anything is Cameron Crowe? 
okay, now I feel like I've just made a terrible hold on, mistake, hold on. but I no, believe no, it was. Fine. No, no, you're, it's okay. Say anything, which is like where he holds the, the boom box over his head. Yes. Oh my it's, God. I didn't even realize. That. Ioni Sky is in it. Who... Unbelievable. No, so, okay. I'm going to tell you my thought on this movie, which I would love to have you on for hold up, hold up. When we do say anything, that's a great suggestion. See, this is how movies get selected for the podcast. Somebody just suggests one and then we get someone who wants to be on the show and can speak passionately about it. But also when was the last time you saw it? Okay, the last time I saw it, it's probably been, it's probably my daughter's 15, so it's probably been 10 years. Okay, that's a good amount of time because there's a possibility that you've forgotten your opinions on it. And I had never seen that movie. I would say maybe two years ago, I got around to watching it all the way through. It's good, and then it's great, and then it just kind of ends. And I find the ending to that movie baffling because if you haven't seen that movie, by the way, it's been like 35 years. There's no need for a spoiler alert. The dad <laughs> goes to jail. Yes. Right? Yes. And then and then John Cusack and his, what's her name? Who's the, Ioni Sky. Ioni Sky. Go visit him in jail and that's the conclusion of the movie? It's a really weird ending to a to a chick to an 80s rom-com. No, the end of the movie is they're on the airplane and she's nervous and he says once oh. once the ding oh. once the ding and then we're going to be yeah. safe and then he, he keeps saying like it's coming it's coming the ding is coming you know to that you're able to walk around the cabin and they're holding on to each other and they're holding on and he says once it happens it's going to be okay and then finally the end of the movie is the ding. Oh. And that's so it. So what is what's the metaphor? Oh, this is great. This is great. I don't even, I didn't remember this. What is the metaphor? What are they saying to us? They are saying that, you know, they're holding on to each other because they're going abroad. She's studying abroad and he's going with her. Lloyd is going with her. And yeah. and the, the metaphor is she's terrified, but once it dings, like they're together, it's going to be okay. It's a little bit of a, you know, Sopranos uh, go to black sort of ending, but um, I, no, I, see, I love uh, it. My read on that is, okay. no, let me ask you, here's just a, a better question then. Do they are they together in six months? Do I think they're together in six months? Yeah, like is this a happily ever after, or is yes. he saying, "Oh, I that was not my read of the end of that movie at all." I feel like within at least eighteen months, she should be single again and just out there having fun. Yeah, this is funny. Okay, so again, these are the sort of things where I love going back and watching things that you think you know everything about yes. and then someone introduces an idea or an opinion or a theory or something that makes me rethink my whole opinion on a movie. I just love that. I, I find that incredibly fun. I, now, I, I, I love it too. I, and you're like a, you're like a movie anthropologist. I, 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 I try to be. Wow. I, but here's the other thing though too. I like movies that are for everyone. There aren't a lot of art house ish movies that I tend to love. Like I jokingly, but not so jokingly, I say that my favorite best picture is Shakespeare in Love. Partly because that's a perfect movie, but also because it is one of the few examples of a best picture that's just supposed to be for the audience. That movie is not for critics. Okay. Like it, it definitely it definitely is for people who like Shakespeare, but it is as far away as you can get from a movie like uh, Moonlight or the English Patient, where it really is a movie for people who are voting for award shows. And so uh, for me, the sort of things that I want to talk about on a podcast are movies like Say Anything that are just crowd pleasers because I want to be pleased as I'm part of the crowd. Yes. Yes. That's, it's a, I'm telling you, it's a great movie and it holds up. Now, <laughs> we may have to fight about it. Um, 
Okay, so you are going to get into that kind of John Hughes. Let me tell you what movie what? I know doesn't hold uh-huh. up is um, Singles. What a great I've never movie! Seen singles. <gasps> Who's in Singles? What? It's uh, Bridget Fonda and um, Dylan, Dylan, Matt Dylan, and it's really? it's it's a movie about the grunge scene in Seattle, right? So my boyfriend mm-hmm. Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam appears in the oh, movie. Right. Of course, yeah, yeah. It's hilarious it's one of the funniest movies you'll ever see but it's such of the grunge era that now that is a cameron crow I'm, I'm not screwing that up that that um 100 won't hold up because it's so specifically about the era that it's comical but that's a great movie yes well see okay that's another good thing um where like grunge just doesn't feel contemporary right. at this moment right but it might feel really cool to go back and watch a movie that's set in the grunge era a few generations from now. Like I could almost see there being a nostalgia for grunge coming around the corner because we're almost removed far enough that it's like, it's no longer comical and it's no longer dated. It actually feels relevant again. That's really the goal. Is something falling out of popularity and then circling back and becoming the Citizen Kane of its time. Like that's what happened with Moby Dick. I don't know if you know this, but Moby Dick came out in like the 1870s and no one read it. I mean, Herman Melville died without thinking that his great magnum opus was just going to be completely ignored. And then after World War One, it became the great American novel. It took 50 years. So maybe that is the trajectory for singles. Maybe that's the great <laughs> 90s movie. But here's my thought on John Hughes, by the way. I kind of think that Ferris Bueller might be the perfect example of a movie where you could show your kids today and they're going to love it as much as you did. They're going to love it as much as I did because John Hughes movies play really well. They don't age poorly. They're just fun movies. My kids love uh, Ferris Bueller. Another great John Hughes movie that's not talked about too often is She's Having a Baby. And that's a great movie. And my friends, I didn't even I didn't know that was one of his. Did you know that Home Alone was written by John Hughes? I mean, the guy had a, a bunch of movies that you wouldn't even think were John Hughes movies because you associate everything with Molly Ringwald. Yes. It's like if it's not Molly Ringwald, it can't be John Hughes. Right. If it's not Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink, then for sure he didn't do it. But you're right. Yeah. That. Listen, John Hughes. You know, again, R.I.P. Was mm-hmm. a genius. A G, I think I, the, the, maybe that's just because it's just my generation and those are the movies I grew up on. But I mean, we me and my friends, we quote John Hughes movies all the time like nerds, you know. Well, here, here's the thing you got to say about him. I, I think he's an amazing case study for two reasons. Number one, he's more like a J.D. Salinger uh, because in his later life, he didn't do any interviews. He yeah. went completely reclusive. He stopped writing movies. He stopped making movies for like the last 15, 20 years of his life. And he died in rel- not anonymity, but like in, you know, after having lived a quiet life in the suburbs of Chicago. I find that compelling. But yes. number two, I actually think there are tons of high school comedies from that era and afterward. And plenty of people tried to do it the way he did. And no one ever achieved his level. I agree. Now, like, it's not it's, it's hard to do something simple that well. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, Sean, you are I mean, you have now in this podcast compared uh, the book Moby Dick to the movie Singles and uh, J.D. Okay. Salinger to John Hughes. So, to John Hughes. so okay. I think well, we got to elevate things to the to their proper place. Now, I'll tell you, I had a similar experience to what happened to you with Uncle Buck. Yes. This is a, like, maybe a couple months ago. 
having a dinner party with friends and we started talking about some of the great late 90s, basically like high school comedies from that era. And there was a, a, a bit of a renaissance period for them, starting with Clueless. Yes. And there was a movie called Can't Hardly Wait, which is considered a classic. And there was a movie called 10 Things I Hate About You that's considered a classic. And then I threw out, well, guys, the movie that I've seen, if not the most number of times, at least over 30 times in my life, is this movie called Empire Records. Have you ever seen it? Yes, I have. Okay, so Empire Records, I'm pretty sure, is a little bit like singles in some ways, which is there's a cult following and it takes place in kind of a music situation or, or it's within like the music scene. And it's all one day in a record store. Oh, I didn't, up, I didn't remember that part, that it's one okay. day. It's one day. And it starts in, in basically, you know, the middle of the night on one night, and then it ends the le- the next night. And also, by the way, there is a whole genre of American film that doesn't have a name, but we should coin the phrase, which is the Ferris Bueller's Day Off movie, where it it's an American movie about young people that all takes place within 24 hours. And these movies are always great. Like You got your Superbad, you got your 16 Candles, you got your Empire Records. I tend to love these movies where you have one big adventure in one day. Yes. So I got my, my friends were like, oh, my God, Empire Records. One girl at the table says, oh, that was my favorite movie growing up. The rest of the people at the table say, I've never seen that movie. So next thing you know, we're over on the couch and I'm illegally streaming Empire Records for everyone. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God, I have to start the podcast, Hold Up, Hold Up. This is like right before Hold Up, Hold Up started. And I'm like, we have to do this. I'm astonished by how well this movie holds up. Oh my God, it's even better than I remembered. Wow. The movie, the movie ends. One of the girls turns around and she says, why did we just watch that? And the other three and the other three people there who had never seen it were like, dude, that movie is garbage. <gasps> so it's a little bit like Uncle Buck where, you know what, you can try and teach these kids what good movies are like, but it doesn't mean they're going to appreciate the art of Uncle Buck or Empire Records. We're still going to do that episode and I'm willing to have somebody who doesn't think it holds up. But I feel like that movie is a perfect example of something being set in its own time and not being worried about being dated. Okay, now I've written that down so I can go back and watch it. Uh-huh. Now, is, uh-huh. is Janine Garofalo in that movie? Um, no, there is. Who, who's the? the... De- Deborah Mazar, I think. Is there... Here are the people who, who went on to be famous that are in it. Renee Zellweger. Oh. Is, a, is like, she's supposed to be the lovable, promiscuous one. Liv Tyler. That's, who I'm, th- that's who I'm made... thinking of. That's who I'm right thinking of. Right before she made uh, or was in Armageddon. Which is also a movie that's good, dumb, fun, but probably really does not hold up. Uh, and then there's a number of other people that you would totally recognize that are in Empire Records. But again, it's also this movie that, and this is just true of your memory and your taste, is they, they you know, they say the movie that you, the music that you're going to love for the rest of your life, the music you're going to consider great music, is whatever was popular between the times when you were 13 and 17. Huh. And that's about right for me for Empire Records. And it introduced me to all this music that I just wasn't aware of. Some of it, there's metal in the movie. And I don't like metal, but that I found interesting. And there's, it plays, it has some old music from the 70s. And then it has a bunch of grunge music from the mid 90s. And I really liked the soundtrack. So the, these are also things that maybe I was so attached to that movie because it, it featured a lot of the music from my youth that I thought and to this day is good music. Yeah, that's the same with singles. That soundtrack is unbelievable. Of course, you've got a good soundtrack yeah. makes a huge difference. I mean, that's what happened 
in the movie Jaws. It's also why I don't know your thoughts on Dirty Dancing. I have, I th- I have thoughts. I have thoughts yeah. on it. What yeah. are what are they? For, I'll let you lead on this one. <laughs> well, my thoughts on Dirty Dancing. I remember in college, everybody would sit around and watch it and swoon over. Patrick Swayze, and I liked it okay, but I wasn't as obsessed with it with a lot of my friends were. And I've actually been to that place where they filmed it and stayed there at that you know you lodge. I did, and this wasn't and like on, was it in the Poconos or something. Where is it? It's in Virginia or West Virginia. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, we it, it's a, it's a long story, but we were on a road trip where we were in the middle of building a house and just trying to stay out of town for a couple of weeks, and then a hurricane hit where we were, so we had to leave. And we, we, you know, looking up places to go on our on our route. And I was like, oh, this oh, we'll go to this place. And then I realized it was the dirty dancing place. I want to go there desperately. I love visiting places for movies. Um, so but you like the movie or you think it's just OK? I think it's just OK. I think okay, so- that that also movie, you know, if you had your kids watch it, you'd be like, oh, you would love this movie. And then you're like realize midway through the movie that somebody has an abortion in it. And you're like, maybe my kids shouldn't be watching this movie. That is exactly what I was going to say. Or maybe that's why your kids should be watching it, because this is how the world used to be. Um, I think. OK, so there's a couple things about the movie. First of all, I think it's a perfect movie. It's like in my top five favorite movies, even though it has a female protagonist, which makes me really happy. I used to watch it on Betamax when I was a little kid. And every time at the end of the movie, when Patrick Swayze would jump off the stage to go do his dancing down the aisle, I would jump off the couch because I wanted to be Patrick Swayze. And I'll watch it now. And there are two things that I find really interesting about it. First of all, it is a female coming of age story, but in no way do I think it qualifies as a chick flick. Just it's it's just a flat out mo- good movie that everyone should appreciate, and it, the, the target audience is anyone who likes good movies. And second of all, it has probably the best soundtrack of any movie ever. It's one song after another that are hits, and when you go back and you listen, watch it, and listen to the soundtrack, you realize how important that is to your experience. Good yeah. music is can be so important to a good movie. You are very passionate about Dirty Dancing. Well, I really love Dirty Dancing. I mean, again, it's like peak Swayze. You got peak Jennifer Grey. It's peak Sean Kilby. Because when I was three, I mean, I was awesome jumping off of that uh, that couch. This actually reminds me of something that I was thinking we'd want to talk about, which is when you're picking guests for a podcast, what's the approach? Now, I like to have two people on each show. Because then you kind of get like a roundtable effect. But I also want to have people that aren't necessarily agreeing with me. So if I was doing, for example, Dirty Dancing, you would be a good guest because I want somebody who's not just in the bag for the topic. Right. I want somebody who can actually look at it critically and say, well, I disagree with you on that. I don't know if if that's what the type of podcast that you tend to like to listen to, but I know that's what I tend to appreciate. Yes. I don't want to hear two people just talking and agreeing on everything. So when I I listened to yours, of course, with Taylor and Taylor, and Mm -hmm. then I listened to the one you did regarding a 40-year-old virgin. That I thought fascinating because I loved that movie. Of course, I haven't seen it in forever, but I love that movie, love Steve Carell. But you point out in your podcast that there's a lot of misogynistic and racist stuff Mm -hmm. that probably doesn't really hold up. And of course, I didn't realize it. There's a two-minute riff where the guys go back and forth and say, you know how I know you're gay? And it does not work. It is basically not acceptable at this point. Yes. And it, certainly society has changed dramatically since that time. And you realize that came out in 2005. That's not that long ago. No. 
I find that to be astonishing. And yeah, on that one, we disagreed at the end of the podcast. We always say, does this hold up? And the other two guys are like, no, it just doesn't work. And I was like, I don't care. That movie is still funny enough that I'm willing to forgive it. It's false. <laughs> yes. And that may be that may be sort of like the giant cell phone and clueless and that you just have to say, all right. That was a sign of the times, just like if you watch mm-hmm. singles and their ridiculous grunge outfits, you know, you have to accept it that that is how people dressed and they did look completely stupid. You know, we yeah. have like leggings under their shorts with a flannel shirt around their waist and a flannel shirt on their body with like a beanie. They look so stupid. Flannels are so hot now, though. I mean, well, at least they'd be really hot now because we're recording this in the summer. But I mean, flannels did have a moment that came back around and probably people want to dress like singles again. My, uh, you know, I, I gauge things by my 15 year old daughter and yeah, exactly. uh, her, uh, her friends will wear like a Kurt Cobain shirt and, a, yeah. and a flannel like with, but you know, then they've got a, their own spin on it. They've got their leggings and their Ugg boots. You know, it's, it's a different, mm-hmm. it's a different spin these days, but it does, you know, of course in my mind, it all, it all goes back to, uh, my favorite music, which is like Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And, you know, that's that's from my day. Now, I, I will say, I just want to point out, if they had Uggs in the early 90s, you better believe that Courtney Love would have been wearing them. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. And then they, they, they totally would have fit. No, just, I don't care. I'm warm. And then, and then, the, you know, vomiting on them as she would. <laughs> um, okay. Now I'm going to ask all my guests the same question. What mm-hmm. podcast are you listening to? What podcast do you find interesting? Oh, okay. This is good. Okay. Um, so I'm a sports fan. Yes. So I listen to this guy pretty frequently, this guy named Bill Simmons. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's like an ESPN guy. He got fired from ESPN and now he has his own podcast. And the thing I like about his podcast and what it shares in common with yours is just kind of a free conversation. We're just kind of shooting the breeze together. And I really enjoy that. Sometimes he just has his friends on and sometimes he has major athletes on. But either way, the one thing that he does that I like is he tends to at least think outside the box and bring some crazy theory or some sort of insight that I might not have thought of. So that's number one. If you like sports and you've never heard his podcast, maybe try that. Okay. Um, And then you have, I tend to, I kind of like NPR type podcasts and you're uh i've listened to plenty of this american life i don't know if you're familiar with that one yes very popular it gets a bit tedious so i've stopped listening to it the one that i do enjoy and the one that i would recommend to a friend and really does um hit all these points for me is something called revisionist history by malcolm gladwell i'm right do you know this i don't revisionist history Okay. okay So Malcolm Gladwell is an author, and I've read a couple of his books. He writes for The New Yorker, and he's famous for these sort of pseudo-sociology, uh, like pop psychology books, one of which is called The Tipping Point. That's really famous. Okay, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, that's his, like his big one. And he's an interesting guy. And so he decided to start this podcast that's um, it's well-produced, and it's like you know he kind of storytelling most of the time in a, a few interviews, where he'll look back at some topic – and try and say, well, how does this actual, how does, how does the popular conception of this thing jive with reality? And in many cases, it's actually really interesting to show like, oh, this thing that you think to be true is actually the opposite of what we know it to be. And that, and so he kind of like tries to revise history, for example. And he has one in particular, it's not so much about history or uh, popular conception, but he talks about golf courses Yes. In Los Angeles. 
And I don't know if you've ever been to Los Angeles, but there are an exorbitant number of golf courses relative to the number of parks there. There's like no parks and huh. all golf courses. So he actually looks into what made the, the the state of California and the city of Los Angeles allow this to happen, that there's no parks, but there's tons of golf courses. And he basically argues that golf courses in Los Angeles should just be turned into parks, which is not at a certain point. That's not really that interesting. But I like the idea of him trying to take this sort of alternative viewpoint on something and convince me to change my mind. That is the sort of podcast that I want to listen to. That's interesting because what you're describing sort of sounds like your podcast, right? Like it's a little bit revisionist little bit. history, you know, revisionist history of how you feel about a movie, right? Yeah. Well, I want to revise my opinion. The, the, my dream is to watch a movie and go into it thinking that it's either going to be great or going to be terrible. And then it's like the complete opposite. That's like something that, that I have forgotten about and that my perception has changed completely. That's the dream. We did bring it on. Yes. Uh, <laughs> as one, um, and I was convinced that it was going to be like Clueless, which, t- by the way, if, if, if you don't, didn't totally understand my opinion on Clueless, I, I was like, I found it astonishingly good. Yeah. The Clueless was so quotable, I couldn't remember that being that good. And then I thought, well, bring it on is just Clueless, too. It's just a great movie, and we're going to watch it, and it's going to be like, ho-hum, okay, this movie's perfect, on to the next one. Oh, my goodness, I couldn't have been more wrong. It was deeply flawed. There is a lot wrong with that movie. They use some language that is not suitable for this podcast, let alone for, I think the target audience for Bring It On is 13-year-old girls going into high school for the first time that want to be cheerleaders, and they should not model their language or behavior after that movie. Oh, you know, I saw that movie, but of course it was so long ago. I can't even mm-hmm. remember. if I, I think I liked the cheerleading part. Is it, is it like- Cheerleading part's still fun. See, this is the thing. It's like, there's still reasons, why, the reasons why the movie is good are still true. And it's mostly just the cheerleading parts and the singing parts. Or like the the cheer and dance parts, but everything in between uh, can make you feel a little cringy. Okay, well then mm-hmm. I will not have that on my list of things to watch. Do not, don't bother. See, this is the thing too. It's like it, it's almost gratifying sometimes when I, you listen to a podcast, which I've listened to. Um, oh, I have one more for you. You want another suggestion? Yes. Okay, so this one is called "How Did This Get Made?" Have you ever heard of that? Yes, I have, and I've listened okay. to it. Now, maybe I didn't quite get it, but it's about terrible movies and how did they get made is that right this is also a misnomer um it's not they don't really care about how it got made it's more like how did this get made exclamation point rather than how did this get made question mark they don't care how the movie got made generally although i mean sometimes there can be some background info it really is just people will suggest bad movies these comedians will watch them and then they'll talk about it and that's the whole show and there's a few interesting things that have happened with the show Number one, I think when a movie is surprisingly good to them and they stop making jokes and they actually start to get into maybe the filmmaking aspects, I find the show to be the most gratifying. So maybe that's why I wanted to do a a, a show about good movies. Um, They also are hilarious. Paul Shear hosts it along with his wife. Uh, and then this guy, Jason Manzukis, who is laugh out loud funny. So they they get by on their talent for the most part. Okay. But they also, the other interesting thing is their podcast got popular enough that they started doing live shows across the country. And now almost every episode is a live episode. Yes. And they're worse. The live episodes are just strictly worse. They're too long. There's too much audience interruption. 
the people who are funny and talented don't have quite enough time to shine. So I think that's really interesting as well. Just the trajectory of a show itself. They've totally changed their philosophy to what the show is supposed to be. And that's fine because they're making a lot more money off of it. But people who are listening at home, like you and me, are probably having a worse experience because of it. Yeah, you know, I, I went, it's funny you said that. I went to a live podcast taping last night of uh, Bitch, oh. Bitch Sesh with, you know, Casey Wilson and yeah. Daniel Schneider. And that's the second one I've been to. And I've been to a live podcast taping of Heather McDonald's podcast. And it's very fun to be there. But my friend Ingrid also hates to listen to live podcasts because of the audience interruption or it's not as funny if you're not there to get the joke because you're not exactly. watching it. She feels pretty strongly about that. I'm kind of in the middle, but it's funny that it's that you mentioned that, that one of your favorite ones, you don't like it when it's live. And um, I've, I've written that down, too, because it's definitely in my podcast queue, but I haven't listened to it in a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I guess, see, this is the other thing, too, though. You sometimes get podcast fatigue. Yes, because like with the we're, we are a binge watching society and I'm a binge listener a lot of times. But at a certain point, you almost can get uh, you can get a little played out listening to the same thing over and over. So I am actually, to be honest with you, on a, a bit of a how did this get made hiatus? Oh. They just did too many live episodes in a row. And I was like, I got to take a break. I'll probably come back when they do a movie I want to listen to. Well, listen. I feel like I know you because I've listened to you for so many years. I'm sure you probably get that a lot. I mean, I know all about Linda. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I, you guys are my friends, and especially because we have a mutual friend with Taylor. Yeah. So I really appreciate you doing this podcast with me. And when I talked to Taylor about starting this podcast, she said, oh, Sean Kilby has a great new podcast. You have to interview him. He has to be your first guest, your second guest. And I said, let's do it. So I really, really appreciate it. So well, I appreciate it as well. Thank you for having me on. And tell all my listeners where they can find you on social media and how to find your podcast and all that stuff. Okay, so my uh, you can find me on Instagram primarily and Twitter, I guess. Uh, Radio Sean Ryan, and then we have the show. Instagram is Hold Up Pod, and then you can also go to holdupholdup.com or just type in Hold Up Hold Up on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast, and you'll be able to find it. I mean, it, it, just Google, just hit Google, right? Hold up, hold up, and hopefully we're the first result. Well, I I love it, and I hope that my listeners will give it a shot. You can scroll through and look at the movies that you reviewed and and, and maybe get a new opinion on a movie that you've seen 20 times, but now you can listen to other people, and you may look at it in a whole new way, right? Right, absolutely. And also, next time you're in New York, which I hope is frequently because you're not too far away, make sure you let me know because then we'll schedule a time to get you on a podcast, and we'll probably just talk about Say Anything. Oh, my gosh. What a dream. Okay. I will let you know. I do come to New York a few times a year, so I'll definitely let you know. Sounds like a plan. Okay. Thank you, Sean. You bet. 